This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast, a podcast from the Back Tees. I'm your co-host, Jerry Lou, and with me as always is my other co-host, Zach Pinter. ZP, how in the hell are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Was that a nod to the St. Louis Blues right there? A little bit, a little bit, and uh, mostly because joining us here on the uh, on the main line in the three-way, however you want to call it, is our boy Tucker Dale Booth. Tucker, how you doing? Blues Nation represent, yeah, the world's worst theme song for our team. Woo! Love it. All my friends at the record label are like, we are the lamest city. We've picked the worst possible celebration song. We might as well have just done hot, hot, hot. I mean, there is no worse song than Gloria to celebrate, but at least we love it when we get to play it. Thank you, Lord, that we won last game. That's for sure. Yeah, so are you a big hockey fan? You know, I'm actually not, but everybody in St. Louis is, and it's it's really odd because I was telling you, Zach, the Rams, when they left, St. Louis tried to make this big stink about how sad they were, but I'm being extremely blunt here. They love the five Bs in St. Louis. Baseball, beer, blues hockey, bratwurst, and big-ass fat people that's all anybody in st louis likes man not the rams were never gonna make the cut so i don't know how hockey has become a more popular sport than the nfl in st louis but it surely is second place after the cardinals and so we always followed it i met brett hole brett hole's a man about town he sure indeed drinks at applebee's at noon that is a fact um you know he's a good guy everybody the gretzky era was fun so, yeah, I mean, I, definitely when they're in the playoffs, I pay attention. But I don't watch much hockey during the year. I will say the fact that they were in last place in their division at midseason and they're in the championships and tied 2-2 oh, yeah. with the formidable Bruins, that's awesome. And we're playing Boston. The city St. Louis truly hates the most. I hate so, those guys. You know, as long as we beat Boston, it's all good, man. There's so much hate for Boston. Poor Boston. So much. Boston, <laughs> Boston's, like, Boston's hurt every township in a different way more than once. I mean, that's why I always use the – I always ask my Patriots friends, I'm like, hey, so you want another crack at the Giants? And a lot of them look at me and go, oh, hell no, bro. No, because they have they know <laughs> the have the Patriots number maybe, and they couldn't have it be 3-0. 2-0 is bad enough. They couldn't have it be 3-0. 1-0 is a fluke. 2-0 is you're getting owned, and 3-0 is a pattern, and or you're getting owned. So Every other city flinches when they hear they got to play Boston in any sport. I don't care if it's the Red Sox. I don't care if it's the Patriots, Bruins, whoever, man. But That's kind of cool, though. It, New York you know, is the one city that cares. They, they they want it, dude. They they embrace the challenge. It's because they got a better city. Let's just face it. I, you know what? I honestly could care either way. I mean, I'm not, I'm I'm as equal a fan as the people from each city or each city versus the other in any regard. I have no really. I lived in Maryland, so I can tell you where I don't like. <laughs> and, and <laughs> in New York, I got I got some opinions about Maryland. Let me tell you about the East Coast. But uh, but honestly, I like the rivalry. I like everything that it provides. It, 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 it could be Pittsburgh or, or Chicago 
or Helena, Montana that has like the same type of where it's like, oh no, they see you on the schedule and they, or you have a lot of titles or whatever and you get that way. I'm cool with that. It could be anywhere. I'm just happy there is that entity. Like we wouldn't have Star Wars if there wouldn't Darth Vader if you think about it. So, and they sure are the Death Star. That is a fact. Boston, you have officially received Darth Vader status to everyone else that's not so from your city. Warriors, then. So what are the Warriors? We'll get, They're we'll getting get close, man. Way real quick. I love that we can hate on the Warriors on this show together, you guys. I really appreciate that because anybody from L.A. truly despises the northern part of California, especially the Bay Area, and especially Oakland. Because I have friends from Oakland, you guys. They never cared a crap about basketball until the moment that these guys started doing well. They want to act like they were into run TMC now. No, you weren't. They want to <laughs> act like the Believe Year with Baron Davis. You guys didn't even care yeah. until you beat the Mavericks in the first round. You didn't even watch till you beat the Mavericks. Don't lie. I have friends, they went on and on to me about how basketball was a second-rate sport that would never cut the mustard compared to NFL, compared to the Niners and the Raiders and whoever else. Now, all of a sudden, there's this huge basketball town. Get out of here. And they're not even going to stay in Oakland. They're going to go to San Fran and play in some overpriced arena next year for a bunch of billionaire fans that don't care. Oh, oh man. Poser City. Posers. Who can afford the tickets? It's it's more, you know, that's the California culture. It's more about being seen at the Laker game than actually who wins the Laker game. It's unfortunate. I mean, that's why I'm a lackadaisical Laker fan. When they win, I'm in. When they're not, I'm watching hockey. I mean, that's pretty much how my life goes. Just time. like we all are in LA, but at least we actually liked the Lakers before they started to do well. Everybody still was pulling for them when they were lousy. I mean, they weren't going to games, but at least we care. These people in Oakland, they never cared about the Warriors for five minutes until they won a championship, man. That's a fact. You can thank Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love for getting hurt, you guys, the first time. <laughs> the only reason you won. You can thank the league and Kevin Durant and everyone else for ganging up so you could look like you actually did something worthwhile. But every one of them talked smack on LeBron because he was bandwagon. And then Kevin Durant jumps on their bandwagon and takes them to the rings. You guys are the most bandwagon of fans, I swear. And I really hope that the Raptors win. So you, you know how I feel. Zach, I know you're Canadian, so don't give me don't give me any you take that bias right out of your mouth right now and take it right out of your brainstem. I don't want to hear any bias. But um, fair is fair. I appreciate the spirit of Canada in this or whatever, but uh what, what, do you feel that way about the Warriors, honestly? I mean So actually, uh I never really liked the Raptors. To be honest, I who does? <laughs> honestly, I would have rather seen like Milwaukee make it. And as Nolan knows, I'm now a Portland Trail Blazers fan. Go Blazers! Oh, bravo! Good for you. Because I need some team, but I am rooting for the Raptors because I hate the Warriors so much. I get that. I get that. I actually heard um, uh, in some interview with somebody who was talking about how his son said uh, how he's like, well, I want Toronto to win. But dad, they're not an American team, and, and it was just like not to say like that's not a bad thing if a, if a non-American team wins the NBA championship or whatever. But it is kind of fun being like, hey, the trophy is in our country here. It's not oh, it's up in their up in their borders or whatever. Because how many NHL teams are there in uh, Canada? I mean, I'm just spitballing. Uh, Six, eight. eight. Yeah, there's there's not. Oh, oh my god, I almost said plenty. There's one in Winnipeg for crying out loud. Okay, you guys have like proper representation, say for the Yukon. So, I mean, it's really I to, to, to hear that there's only one team in basketball. And remember what I tweeted when I said uh, 
I was just like, you know, half those people think the Grizzlies still play in Vancouver. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> come on. It's like back in the Damon Stoudemire days. I mean, Jesus. No wonder you got busted for pot in Portland. It was really legal in Canada way back in the day, if you think about it, or easier to get. So, I, I think, you know, one last thought about the whole Warriors dynasty or, or whatever people want to frame this as. When, whenever people get on me, like the kids I coach, I coach kids basketball here in Redondo. You know, coach, man, why are you so down on the Warriors, man? I mean, they're, they're awesome. You know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant, they're like some of the greatest players in the world, coach. How are you going to be so cruel? And I'll tell you why, guys. This is the basketball coach in me. Even though they surely have five or so of the greatest shooters in the NBA currently and at least a couple of the greatest shooters in the NBA all time, I'd say Steph and Clay and Durant are surely some of the top shooters ever in the NBA. It doesn't matter because they don't play basketball the way a coach would want a team to play. You're, you're, you're ruining the game, not just for the NBA Ooh. because they all emulate you and you dare them to play your game of jacking up a, you know 43s a game, but you make all these kids think that this is the way that they should play. Every child in the league that I coach in now is bombing three-pointers like they have any business doing this because it's their hero staff does it. Dude, every missed three, which is the lowest percentage shot you can shoot, starts a fast break going the other way. It's a long rebound off the rim. You start a fast break. You set the other team up for, for success by doing this. And whether your guys can shoot in the high 40 percentages, and, and the best three-point shooter on their team, Steph, shoots 49%, guys. That's not even 50% of his shots he hits from this distance. Oh, boo-hoo. It is not a high-percentage <laughs> shot. There's no way you can tell me that just because you guys can pull this off that this is good for basketball. It may be fun to watch a guy hit a 50-foot shot. I can meet you there. But I will never watch this and think it is a truly pleasing aesthetic form of basketball. I want to see it get inside. I want to see it kick out. I want to see it move around. I want to see some layups. I want to see some dunks. I want to see some post moves. I want to see some jump shots. I don't just want to see guys dribbling down, kicking it around the key, and jacking up threes. It will never, ever be pleasing to me. And the worst thing Toronto's doing right now is they're trying to play them at their own game. Guys, you've got big dudes that can get, play inside. Kawhi, you're a mid-range jump shooter. Get the ball inside. That's the way you be. I agree yeah. with you. It's pretty boring sometimes. But that's why I don't even enjoy watching basketball that much because I don't think there's any way it's going to change. Look, they, it's the flavor of the week right now. All those things you described, Tucker, are all the, like the eight or nine elements that make up basketball. And right now, all Steph Curry did is he just threw a whole new one in our face, essentially. I mean, think back to when the shot clock was brand new, or, or not even when the three-point line was new, because I'm an advocate of the four-point line. Screw it. If this is the way it's going to be, it's the way it's going to be. We're just going to make a tenth element to the game now when there was nine prior. That's all. I just And that's why I just appreciate Steph Curry and that, like, he's the only guy capable of winning the MVP and the most improved award if you really take most improved for technically what it is, and just like that he's just a neat anomaly. I mean, it's... But take Steph against from any era. Take him against Kobe. Take him against Jordan. Take him against Magic Johnson. Take him against Larry Bird. You know, we can go on and on. He would never, ever stack up to these guys. Because all Steph can do is bomb threes. That's all he can do. He he plays Matador defense. He wins big clutch moments. He needs guys like Durant to bail him out. He needs guys like Clay to bail him out. He is the greatest shooter that I've ever seen. You put him on a team like he's Steve Kerr on the Bulls, boy, 
have fun with that team. But that's it. he's a role player that, that somehow has become the MVP. It blows my mind that people act like he's as good as he is. I seriously think he's well, nowhere near the caliber of a Jordan or a Kobe. Not even close. Of course. Those are way more complete players that are more greats than them or whatever. And I like Steph for what he is. But, I mean, are we going to say the same thing about Dan Fouts or Dan Marino? I mean, just just so happens they're both Dans to play quarterback, coincidentally. But, seriously, in terms of what they did to the game, they just hucked it up there. And that changed a lot and pissed a lot of people off. And it's kind of getting worse now. I mean, for the past 10 years, it's turned into, like, a full spread offense in the NFL, typically. And because receivers can't get hit anymore. So, just, I mean... I don't know. It's 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 these new elements that are being introduced to the game that I feel like are going to just like the other cards in the shoe, just going to get shuffled in eventually. It's all just going to, it's just new stuff. It's like the new rules in golf. Essentially, they're all just going to find their way in and uh, balance themselves out. Remember back in basketball, the hand check rule about 14 years ago, how Dwayne Wade and company just walked their way right up the key to the finals. I mean, because everyone just slapping them to death. I mean, the Detroit Pistons were about to be the, a great dynasty. And they changed the physicality rules of basketball from one season to the next, and we never heard from them again. It, it just, I uh, think it's a conspiracy by Stern against the Pistons and the Spurs because they didn't want to see a bunch of slow, grind-you-down, methodical half-court basketball. They wanted to see fast breaks, dunks, highlights, three-pointers, and 150 to 140-point games. Final games when the Spurs and Pistons are playing each other that are 80 80- – one to 75 is not cutting the mustard for them. And I swear that's why they eliminated hand checks. That's why they made fouls. Anything you even brush up against a guy, you breathe on a dude and it's a foul. Now it's all to stimulate scoring. That's all they're doing. And it's fine, I guess, except again, you're taking, you've taken the defense out of the game and that's exciting to see really tough defender guys and really great offensive guys almost like boxing and see who the best is at it. You want to see the Floyds go up against the the Tysons or whoever. You want to see this type of fight. You want to see the best punchers go up against against the best defensive tacticians. And mm-hmm. now it's just nothing but people throwing wild haymakers into outer space. That's all they're doing. It's yeah. boring. No, it's boring. God forbid, even though it's like honestly quite the opposite is trying to be the, uh, the goal in mind. If you think about it, like the greatest show on turf with uh, – Back to your St. Louis team, the Rams, uh, with uh, Kurt Warner and company. So, uh, bless them. <laughs> uh, so we we apologize for the uh, late recording, and we also want to give a nice shout out and thanks to uh, Michigan Sports and Entertainment for being. Oh, so big news! They're now Big Heads Media. Oh, excuse me, Big Heads Media. I like that. Let me just write that down. Yeah, a slight <laughs> change. Nice. Well, so long as we're still their golf podcast or they want to keep us around, that's uh, that's enjoyable. We are, and so, we have exciting news coming for next week on some other platforms we're going to be available on. Such as? Such uh, as uh, they think they're working on some deal with a radio station out in Toronto. Really? Yeah, so that should be cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. What's up, Toronto? We love you. Go Raps. <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't... Uh, uh, as, if you, as if you were just gushing about it for like 16 minutes. I mean, <laughs> Hopefully that wasn't secret information, but uh, apologies <laughs> if it was. <laughs> no, uh, it, it shouldn't be. Hey, according according to the rules, so to speak, whatever, I mean, aside from paying for all this music that I play at the start of each episode, and it's usually guys, I don't even tell these guys I'm going to play for music, unless it was the Masters. I just play whatever I'm feeling. <laughs> and, and it's I, nice. And 
and this is a late recording. I had Gloria chambered for a while, so uh, plus I had a I had a really long weekend. I really didn't get to see much of the uh, golf tournament or whatnot. But uh, I mean, shucks, we saw Martin Keimer go out there and just you know stiff upper lip, just freeze it up. Patrick Cantlay, that guy's that guy's smooth. I mean, this this isn't his first victory, right? He hasn't. Won. No, he won in twenty seventeen. Okay, yeah. I mean, this guy's uh this guy's steady. I think he could be. Uh, I don't want to call him up and comer or anything stupid like that, but uh, I, I think he could be up there. It was. Well, he showed cut. some great flashes, man. He did well at Masters. He almost snuck in there and stole the Masters mm-hmm. out from under Tiger and all the boys there right at the end. I feel yeah. like this has been a long time coming. This year, he's been steadily in the mix week after week after week. So I'm not shocked that he won this. He, he doesn't have any holes in his game. He really doesn't. I mean, he seems to be a complete player. I dare I say, kind of like. DJ and Brooks Kepka kind of did that too, where they just were like steady airtight players who just kind of got like .01 shots better every month they played. And then next thing you know, it's just like you're like, oh my god, his scoring average is under seventy, just because they're the, like that crisp or whatever. So also, Cantlay always looks real kind of grim and you know stoic in a kind of tough guy way, but I like that he never seems too hot under the collar, nor that he ever gets too celebratory. He just seems real wired in and. Focused yeah, he's like and, DJ, and just never, yeah, never reacting to anything. What about? Oh, it's slightly uh, more intense. DJ looks like he could just as happily be fishing on a boat. Like Cantley looks like he's all in, trying to trying to get it done all the time. And I, but he never gets too high, never gets too low. He stays steadily grinding in that zone. I like that. Yeah, did you somebody guys? Out there, oh. Somebody out there in the internet world, please make a uh, a gif or something for me of Dustin Johnson fishing, but he's looking off in the distance, smiling, and the fishing rod is and he's got it backwards in his hands. He's just like, <laughs> <laughs> and there's an upside down jet ski floating in front of the boat. Make <laughs> it happen, internet. Did you guys catch uh, Jordan Spieth's uh, how he did? He put on a Ooh. clinic putting. I, I didn't catch it. I did get. I did see Tiger start to surge, but I mean, it looked like uh, 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 Colonial was a uh, no, not yeah, it was Colonial, right? Yeah, presented by yeah, that's right. Excuse me. Um, yeah, I I saw a lot of guys starting to go low. I mean, Cantlay had a nice low round. I mean, a couple guys were pretty stuck in the water. Uh, Speed being one of them, right? Oh no, no, it was Mur- it's Murfield Village, man. Colonial was last one. This is Mur- Mur- Murfield. Village, which is the memorial. Yeah, no, it's it's Jack's. Do you see how I was just quick to agree with you? Murfield. I don't know how to say it right. Murfield. Murfield. There you go. That's it. Like like the John Muir Trail. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) My grandma lived in Columbus. I know where the golf course is, and and it's it's actually like the whole the whole area of there right around there is called Upper Arlington, but. that's pretty much where Jack grew up, the, the the upper crust side of Columbus, where they've got the golf course. It's well, nice to be up there. So the Memorial, Jack's tournament, which Tigers won many times. We saw lots of great moments. I remember him and Jim Furyk in a seven-hole playoff. and the, the It was pretty boring except for the very first hole where Jim Furyk was in a greenside bunker and he flubbed his shot and it stayed in the bunker. And uh, I think it was God... It was somebody with an accent uh, doing the doing the uh, commentary, and he just went, "Oh, game over!" And then uh, Fury proceeds to hold out for par, and then they like tie holes two, three, four, five, six. After that, and they went on the seventh. Uh, Tiger wins on the seventh hole. 
But um, yeah, that's uh, it's the whole. It's a course that every time I play it, there all the times I've been there on Tiger Woods on PlayStation, it was my least favorite course because the branches always seemed to be in the way. Like I mean, it, it always looked to me to be like it wasn't terribly long. Um, you got trees in the way. Uh, it's an old-fashioned shop maker's course or whatever. But I mean, hey, if this is what the pros like to do or what they are, like where, where was Bubba Watson? I didn't check, but you know, something like that. Let's say you guys. Well, I think it's one of these courses where you're right. It's not going to overwhelm you with length. It's not any anything like a Beth Page or something. But it's all about if you miss, you're doomed. If you mm-hmm. make the green, if you get the green in regulation, you got a legit shot from just about anywhere on that green of getting the score. But if you miss, your score easily goes to double bogey territory very quickly. And, and unless you're one of the top, what, 20 guys in the field, you, you're going to be punished every time you miss a fairway or a green. So Jack made it a good test. It's not the world's hardest course. Old guys can win on it is essentially what he did. He made it so the young and the old guys all got a shot. But the bottom line is you better not miss, and you especially better not miss around the greens, or you're doomed. Well, like in terms of like being on board with certain camps or boats or whatever, I'm officially off the bomb and gouge boat. I used to be like, yeah, I love it. Who cares? Whatever. Save from Brooks Kepka, and he's not exactly like just hitting it and seeing where it winds up. I mean, Brooks is accurate. Brooks hits the ball just fine. I don't. I don't it's, not, it's not necessarily working out for some, and it's uh, and like Tiger, if you take the driver's hand, hand so what? Then he's hitting an iron or through it. He's doing just fine. I mean, it's just like just keeping it in the fairway. So, I mean, grow the rough up. I'm 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 actually over the bombing it thing now. I'm not saying like you know, uh, hurrah for the short hitters. I'm just saying no, 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 hurrah for the tacticians. I mean, that's. Go out and play golf, play the elements, play the earth, play the course. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I agree with that. The uh, bombing angle is starting to get a, a little bit old, although I don't see it changing because it's clearly giving these guys the best chances to make birdies and go low, even on these courses they're designing to have pretty high scoring. These guys like DJ and Rory are still managing to like destroy them on their good day. Well, I think DJ, it's really, if you... For as much as that we know about DJ, whether it's from his swagger all the way to like his swing mechanics or whatever, or his ball speeds, one of the things that he really shines on, if you look at it, and I'm sure somebody tweet me if I'm wrong or whatever, I don't give a crap, but I mean, according to the numbers, like I think DJ just always wants to have a wedge in his hand of some kind. Like yeah. He's just one of those guys where it's like he wants to be around 100 yards because that's just where he thrives. Like, and, and I really, since Chichi Rodriguez, nobody's really been one of those kind of players where they're just kind of like, well, I mean, it might the ball might spin less if it's in the rough, but 100 yards feels really good. It's just like, and I mean, just a DJ gets on that track, man, and for, no, he, he doesn't use foresight also. He's just a track man guy. He gets on that track, man, and he dials shit in down to like 50 yards, 49. Like, he gets it down there. And yeah, so he knows on the number. No, I mean, a lot of guys do that, especially nowadays, but overall, that was usually a thing where most pro golfers were on the record saying, oh yeah, I never want to be within 100 yards because I just, I'm kind of guessing. I don't have a swing for it. I don't really have a thought for it. You're just kind of working around it. I don't believe in that. I like to think if I'm inside 50 yards, it's like, well, time to get extra creative because I really don't have a club or a swing for this. So you got to think of something. You got to think of something real quick or whatever. I so. think it's fascinating that DJ just let Claude Harmon go as his swing coach. That just came out, what, about a day ago? He's still going to work a little bit with Butch Harmon before the big ones, but he let Claude Harmon, who was his day-to-day swing coach, whenever he needed somebody, he let him go. And the subtext, it's not too deep you got to dig. It's that Claude's been working so much with Brooks Kepka 
And I think oh. while Brooks and DJ are friends, I think there's surely a sense of maybe either DJ thinking Claude's given him more time than he's given me and I want more focus, or maybe it's a competitive angle, like I want different coaching from someone that helps me strategize against Brooks versus being on the same team. Surely. But Dustin just went back to his high school swing coach out of nowhere. This happened right after Memorial, so – I think that'll be fascinating to see if that helps or hurts Dustin to, you know, change course in the middle of a season like this. But again, I mean, we were talking before Beth Page. I picked him to win. I said him and Brooks were my two picks, and it came down to him and Brooks at the end, but he came up just short to Brooks. I think he's looking for any kind of an edge he can get going into the U.S. Open on Brooks because they're obviously, you know, two of the punchiest guys in the majors right now for sure. Absolutely. I mean, shucks, anything else we want to talk about in terms of the uh, memorial? I mean, do we want to roll into the – We there There are a couple things we want to talk about. Like, we can get into the Hank Haney news. Everyone's talking about it, uh, but we can touch on it real quick. And we can talk about our RBC uh, preview a little bit. And then we want to talk to Tucker about PK news, which – oh, hashtag PK watch. I'm still being followed by him. <laughs> yeah, everyone else is banned, for those not aware. <laughs> Oh, and also, for the record, uh, maybe Zach and I should have our own dissertation off to the side, like a water cooler podcast or something, but our account got hacked. Zach didn't care. Oh, my God. We had, like, like a dumpster fire. And Hashtag like, act on climate. Dumpster on fire. You're like, that's funny. I'm like, now they're pushing it down the hill. Go get it. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> once they start, right. like, like, once they start cursing people, saying, like, if you don't like climate, then fuck you. Hashtag unfollow. I'm like, Zach! Yeah, someone got the password, <laughs> and then it was all act on climate. Firstly, I'll make it very clear, I don't give a fuck about any of what's going on. I have no opinion. You need to be more clear because I was about to say, this puts us in a real sensitive situation where it's like, as much as you want to lambast these people, it makes us look like we're against, it's like, oh, so you're for the climate falling apart. It's like, no, I'm for fuckheads stealing our keys and taking our cars for joyrides. Well, man, it's like Julian Assange didn't hack the website. It was like Trump Assange here. We got the Trumpy leaks (laughs) coming out from 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 the back. These Trumpy leaks. Hey, you morons. It all started from her saying, like, I'm going to be on the podcast soon talking about, like, clean air. And I'm just kind of like, I text Zach going, like, so we got a new staff member coming on the podcast and talk about uh, clean air, clean air solutions. (laughs) And then he's just like, I feel like Zach totally gave me the Heisman, just just, like stiff army right away. I'm like, I even texted him. I got the screenshots to prove it because the tweets are deleted. Thank Christ. But I told Zach, I'm just like. All right, listen, if you're in your, like, new girlfriend or, like, drunk or something, and you're just, like, farting around, I get it or whatever, but at least put a disclaimer out there, because there, start, she's starting to drop F-bombs and, like, putting hashtags in there where, and, 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 like, one of the, one of the like, a couple of tweets got, like, three or four likes and retweets within the first minute, and I'm just kind of like, whoa, our normal stuff doesn't get this, so I don't want people seeing this, this is kind of a bad version. Yeah, we might like, be a new <laughs> climate site. No, but we got God forbid. But then I saw Captain Kramer. Thank you very much. He liked one of the tweets. I'm just like, no, Will, no, this is, don't like this. Stuff. It's not. It, this is propaganda. Yes, I know, I know. It's a, it's 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 a smart quote, but still, it's just oh man. Hey, we're the resistance to the resistance over here. Yeah, no. So we're back to we're back to golf and messing around. <laughs> hey, you told me to roast you. I wasn't gonna, but I really thought about it. like, oh my god. I was just sitting there the whole time looking at my girlfriend sitting on the couch going, it's like, should I care? It doesn't look like he cares. I don't, should I care? This could be funny, but I'm starting to panic. He doesn't seem panicked. No, I mean, should I be panicked? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I'll throw one more. I'll throw one more memorial take out there. Tiger obviously spent three days kind of trying to find himself again after the PGA, but he surely did on Sunday, and it was exciting yeah. to see him yet again get real hot and make people believe he could close that tournament. And he didn't, but he went from minus four to legitimately making us believe down the back nine that he could put up a number that would be hard to touch. And I think he's warming up at the right time again, boys, and it's right before the next major. And I dare say at Pebble Beach, like we've said before, we can all dare to dream that Tiger could have another trophy by the end of that tournament. And the way he played at Memorial – it gives us hope again, and all Tiger fans should be loving life right now. This is a true renaissance, and it's continuing. I mean, PGA might have been a little burp in there, but I don't think any of us thought after winning the Masters that he was going to show up and truly win that. So, you know, yeah, and it's also that Beth Page is a different kind of course for him compared to Pebble, where he has so much psychic mojo. I think that's the biggest takeaway from Memorial this last weekend is Tiger's back, and he looks awesome, especially on Sundays. He's really bringing it right now, man. When he turns it on, nobody turns it on better. I mean, when you get that focus or whatever, he's done the most, and he still has those genes and that mojo Excuse me. <clears throat> still within him. So let's talk uh, Let's talk RBC real quick. Um, RBC Canadian Open, not to be confused with the RBC Heritage. And uh, this is that tournament, as the fellas just informed me in the pre-show runner, not the same course, but the same tournament we might remember back about 18, 19 years ago when Tiger hit that ridiculous six iron over 200 yards over the water out of a bunker. And all the announcers are just like, what the hell is this kid doing? Oh, bloody, bloody, hey, he pushed it or whatever. I mean, and Tiger's like, no, he's just going straight at it. And uh, my favorite shot in golf. I know I wasn't there for the Sarahs and Forwood at the Masters, but... uh, I haven't picked a favorite in the field yet. Zach, since this is the Canadian Open, take it away. What do you got for us? So, since it's the Canadian Open, I'm just going all-out homer picks. So, my favorite to win, I gotta go 90-1 to Corey Connors, because he's more or less a lock in Canada. (laughs) Ah. That's my favorite, my 90 to 1. Top Canadian songs right now to start playing them just because I'm like, this is the Canadian Open. We should just have like a whole 45 minute section just for Zach here in the Canadian Open. Yeah, how did you not have the Canadian anthem as the intro? There we go. There we go. I like it. Speaking of going on, you like your heart. Go on, Zach. Yeah, so Corey Connors, my favorite at 90 to 1, lock of the century. The the, uh, upset or the. Low-owned Canadian, I think, that could show up a little at 130 to one is Mac Hughes. Last year he had a he was pretty dominant for a stretch of about two three months, and then sort of just fell off the cliff, missing every single cut. But now he seems to be back on. You never know. Okay, so so who are your Americans? You're going to take and steal it from us. Oh, sorry, we're doing a little of the Corey Hart there. Sorry. Are you going to sing for us? Negative. Oh, no, not quite yet, my uh, my man. Um, so, he, he might not be Italian or Canadian or whatever, but I really like Fratelli at 110 to 1. Something's, uh, something's singing to me about him. And, uh, shucks, I'm going to defer to Tucker, and I won't make a smart pick in terms of my favorite if Tucker has anything he wants to share. Well, the way I always pick winners is 
in the PGA, since they don't seem to win back-to-back weeks very often, it's so rare. I always feel like the, the formula I'm starting to see is there's some relative unknown or somebody we didn't see coming wins one week, and then the next week it's it's like a guy that we totally could see coming who needs to have a big moment, <clears throat> kind of resurging. So last week Cantlay was obviously a surprise, right? And so with and you know before that we had Brooks and you know we're we're going back to these type of guys. I would say now it's going to be one of the the ones we would expect to see coming, but someone that we might not have seen coming recently. So I don't think Brooks is going to win it, even though he's in the field. I think DJ might be a safe pick again, but he did win back in Mexico. So again, I don't think he's quite the right pick. Um, Rory would be a good pick right now, but again, he won at players, so I'd say he's probably not the guy. When I'm looking at my people that would fit this right now, I think guys like Webb Simpson might be a good pick this week because he's, you know, he's won, but he hasn't won recently. Um, I'd say Sergio Garcia would be a safe pick right now. Another guy that it's been a while, but you know he can turn it on at any point. I, I really think, though, as far as my guy this week, I'm going to pick Bubba Watson. Bubba's just ah. been chilling on the periphery, right? He has not been closing in a while, but you know he can. He's won a ton of tournaments. He's gearing up for the for the major. This would be a classic bubble week to win. Plus, this is the kind of course he can just overwhelm with his crazy style. You know he can. And I think he's one of those guys you never see coming, and then he sucker punches you with that lefty hook that he's got, and he surely throws a lefty hook. I, I, I like Bubba, man. I'm, I'm a fan too, but I'm done. I'm gonna pick Bubba. He's my sleeper pick of the week, man. And if I if I'm gonna pick anybody else, I'll throw Kucher out there. He's another guy. He's done well this year. Cooch is kind of due, right? And and uh, I, I like Webb Simpson. I don't know why, but Webb Simpson keeps coming to mind. Every t- time my son and I see Webb Simpson on TV, we go, Webb Simpson. So there you go. I, he's my Simpson pick of the week, man. He's, he's my he's my dark horse. All right, well, listen, not that I was going to pick Bubba Watson. I just, I love Bubba. 36-1 to 1 has been a long shot. I'm not too sure. He's a little fringy there. But F you, I was taking Cooch at 19-1. to 1. I know I was going to say I was going to pick it on the podcast, but I mean, Cooch is turning into like better than Charles L third now, just in terms of like you know just cashing the checks and winning the tournament. So, and Cooch is at nineteen to one on my model. I got Bubba at thirty six to one here, and have Webb Simpson right in between them at twenty four to one. So, yeah, Cooch at nineteen to one. I hate to see say feels like a steal. And everyone, if Denunzio has written his fantasy article or whatever, I'm not a fantasy golf player. I know a little bit about it, but that's like, you think we know a little bit about golf and making picks and like what we know or whatever. I think it has to be ratcheted up times 10 for fantasy golf. Like you really need to know your uh, course versus player matchups. You need to know stats and trending a lot more and uh, histories and things like that. So uh, I'm sure uh, Dan will get us a, um, a nice piece or if he already has or hasn't. Uh, we also don't advise you follow our picks because I don't think we've gotten one right yet. <laughs> so, I believe you me if somebody gets one of them right we're gonna have a party I mean a big remember, celebration remember when I tweeted about remember we tweeted about our power rankings how we all picked Brooks as first and I'm just kind of like I'll have what she's having it's just like is it it's a no freaking brainer who we all think the number one golfer is in golf right Brooks now. is I mean, doomed now he might miss every single cut the curse 
I keep puffing my chest out because I picked Spieth like six weeks ago at the Byron Nelson, and you guys all laughed at me, and then he's consistently getting better. He's not even winning, but I'm, I'm still not, doing the touchdown dance. You picked him like four you know? times, and I'm, and I'm still like I'm still like tipping the bucket of water on your head just a little bit more each time. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, just wait for it. Just wait for it. <laughs> when he wins, it's going to be we are the champions on Alexa. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to be dancing around the living room like I won. Like, you know? If you if and when he wins next, he it's well freaking deserved. I mean, the poor guy hasn't won in so long. I've nobody's a bigger Jordan Speed fan than me. I am just a big advocate of. I probably, I mean, I won't bring Tiger into this, but I mean, I, my whole problem with Speed was the second he's got real good, I was like, oh, we're gonna kill him with attention, and he's not gonna win, and we're gonna either keep the same amount of attention on him or more, and it's just not gonna be good. And once we now, and I hate to say it, I think we've hit a point in this career now where we've broken him apart so much, not that bad way or a mental way or like a physical way or literal way or metaphorical way or whatever more so just in that like now we're starting to really realize what his problems are golfing like why he, maybe we haven't figured out why he's not ball striking but that was the whole key to his game was ball striking and now that it's off it's more than just like a hot or cold putter i mean because that's pretty much the, the difference between a winner and a loser every week is a hot or cold putter so i think uh, Spieth is a real mental player though and i don't mean that as an insult but you know when he's feeling it really well, he's he's kind of Superman. When he's not feeling it, he can't even swing. He's a he's knob a or something. He, he can't even can't even swing the club. And you see how much he talks to himself and Greller and the, the Fates and God and whoever. That dude talks all the time. He's like me out there. And I know I am a super basket case when I play golf. So I would say right now he's obviously still kind of finding himself again. But week by week, he's looking better and better and better, boys. And once that putter is as blazing as it is, I think he can make up for some wayward drives with that. That's for sure. So, Zach likes... I like Kuchar with Fratelli. We got... uh, Corey Connors and Matt Hughes. All Canada. That's right, yeah. You're going all Canada. So... Oh, before uh, we move on, I could go with my Canadian fun fact of the week since it's themed with this week's event. Okay, go for it. This is also going to be like a mix with Jeopardy, since uh, that's big in the news now. My fun fact is, do you know how many Canadians are in the field this week? I'm going to guess 12. 12? No, no, wait a minute. Are we doing this like uh, who's closer? Like, should I say 13? No, it's not who's closer. It's either you're spot on or I win. This is Jeopardy, Holmes. Now, hold on. Now, Bryson DeChambeau's Canadian-sounding name. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> does that count? He's from Cali, bro. DeChambeau. Cali, bro. <laughs> you have to start it your answer with like what is. France, that's all. Just on paper, when you look at his name, it's like it's like he, he vacations in Breckenridge. I mean, look at his – or his, he has a brother in Breckenridge. I mean. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brecken DeChambeau. Okay, so you say 12. I say – and we're, since I guess we're just getting closer. I'm going to say, I'm going to take the over. I'm going to say 13. 25. Woo! I had a nice. feeling it was, it was a lot more than 12, but I didn't know how to pick. I, I, I was going to say 16 and be like, okay, now you're pushing it. But. <laughs> is the OG Mike Weir in the field? He the is. Mike Weir? All right, good. One of, one He's of not going to win, but I love you, Mike. Go get him. Yeah, wouldn't that be something if he won? Is Graham Dillette in the field? Uh, that's a good question. I think he might be. Is he oh. playing golf anymore? I know the big names in it are Hadwin, Hughes, Connor, Nick Taylor. 
So I don't think though that's in it actually. Taylor, I actually, you know, I was gonna, I was looking at Taylor for a long shot. I kind of liked him a little bit. But no, I, I knew. Delette's not in. He's recovering from injury still. I think he's out for a year. Okay. Graham's back is officially a problem for him, man. He kind of had the tiger back, but he got the tiger back in his 20s instead of in his late 30s. Yeah. Boy, I feel for him. I hope he can have a similar rebound, but and he, was he doesn't doing have well that tiger too. with cheese to go get all those surgeries, dude. We'll see. So that's, that's the Canadian fun fact. Um, I... Uh... I put a tweet out real quick, uh, just uh, to anyone following me, saying uh, if you have any questions, uh, I'll uh, send, I'll read them live, and I'll squeeze them in at the end if we can. I just got one from Nolan so far. It, it's not one that I think I've necessarily addressed, but it's a simple, easy one to address. So, anything else we want to talk about about the uh, RBC Canadian Open? No. Shall we move on to the Hank Haney drama? Well, well it's, free, it's, free Hank Haney, free Hank. Hashtag free, free Hank. Or, Poor Hank. I mean, the, it's it's one of those things where it's like, whether it's in or out of context, I mean, I feel bad for guys who just are making a joke and they're not good at making jokes, so to speak, or whatever, or they just don't realize the recording devices or what century we're in or what's going on around them, like their lack of situational awareness. Or maybe he was like Joe Namath, like, drunk on the sidelines saying to that reporter, you're cute, I want to kiss you. And just like, Joe, <laughs> Joe, do you forget where you were? You have a problem. We need to admit you somewhere. I mean... <laughs> Like uh, like Pat O'Brien or something, where he's like, like Brett Hole last night flipping off people at the Blues game while he's drunk on the sidelines. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I'm glad. It seems you guys agree with the article I wrote on how people don't know how to take a joke in 2019. Apparently, I'll jump in. I'll jump in. I, I've got some insight on this. I spoke with Ron Mintz, who we did feature on the on the podcast. Shout out, Ron, Ron. Mintz. Is Ron is at Ron Mintz Golf. You can follow him at Twitter. He's a good follow. I've been following him for years, actually. I Mintz is him. awesome, and and Hank gave Mintz his break in the big time. Mintz was on his show every <laughs> week for four years, man. So Mintz knows Hank at least that well. Mintz and I spoke today on the phone, and we spoke about the Hank situation for at least 20 minutes. So this is fresh Ron Mintz takes on this. He says, number one, Hank is not a jokester. He's not that funny of a guy. His co-host Steve is the one who's always trying to crack jokes to lighten up the mood because Hank's real serious. And part of the new coaching Hank's been getting from guys like Dan, Patrick, and other people who he has asked for advice is to be more hot takey, be more silly and funny, do more jokes, and do more controversial subject matter. That's the Dan Patrick model that, that Dan's been trying to purport. Obviously, yeah. Hank can't pull it off like Patrick can. There's no doubt. However, Ron also said that Hank has never said a vulgar word in his presence on or off air, never said a racist word in his presence on or off air, never said a sexist word in his presence on or off air. And he does not believe that Hank is any of those things. He just thinks Hank is not a very funny guy who tried to crack a joke to lighten the mood and it absolutely backfired tonally on him. Now, to Zach's point, I think that this culture right now is in, is is insanely snowflakeish and you you invoke the term in your piece. It it's oh, yeah. it's the pendulum has swung too far the other way. I'm I'm a big fan of 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 civil rights. I'm a big fan of people's voice being heard. I'm a big fan of not silencing people that have been silenced in the past. Women, you got every right to speak your minds. Go get them, ladies. Rock out. You know, minorities of any type absolutely think you have the right to speak up. However, if the way that you speak up is to say, cut off the head of anybody who says anything we don't like, that sounds a lot like what white people used to do to you. 
And I think at the end of the day, if you swing it back too far on the pendulum, it's going to turn into a witch hunt and the next people up on the chopping block boys are stand-up comics or anybody else who says anything in a sarcastic tone or an unfiltered tone. And that's going to penalize minorities and women as well. I, I feel like the lawyer in me says it's not about the white guy that gets hung out to dry for all this. It's about the precedent that it sets for the minority. That's what I see is that it sets this precedent that somehow if you guys start speaking out in ways that are unseemly to the majority, that you will also be judged this way and you'll probably get penalized a lot harder than Hank's little slap on the wrist is going to be. Of course. But that being said, I, I know the stand-up comics, the one thing I, I, the only thing I want to mention in that is I have an affinity for stand-up comedy in that I really appreciate its history and its chemistry and its science and what it represents for us as people and enjoyment. And I think we've, we've, we kind of have hit a tipping point though in stand-up comedy where your fans are still going to be your fans though. And if you turn out to be that controversial guy or whatever, then it turns, you know what, those people who don't like you aren't buying your tickets. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't get booked certain places, don't get certain deals or whatever, but still, thanks to the blessing of the internet or whatever, there's forums, there's communities, there's whole groups that are still like, yeah, we love you guys. I mean, for anyone out there who doesn't know about the Blue Collar Comedy Tour or whatever, it's just like, yeah, I'm aware of them. I know most of their jokes because it's been crammed in my face a lot. I don't necessarily find it funny, but there's so many people out there with checkbooks who are just pumping money into it just because it's like, that's their speed or whatever. I mean, it applies to music. And I think comics know, they're, they're, as, as Zach said, I think, they, they're, and then Tucker said it too, they they kind of know they're on the front lines at least that they know that they are not necessarily in the front trench they're on that berm just ahead of the trench like where Patton used to walk around like getting shot at or whatever and but they I think they kind of embrace it and and, and thrive in that so to speak just because and I, I almost want to say like I could write the book on stand-up comedy it's like no 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 not how to do it just how it, it's it as like and I, oh, and Zach, I thought of a great question that I'll tell you off the air uh, uh, in terms of like uh, what you should always be like our question to ask people in the very, very, um, uh, I got to write it down uh, <laughs> real quick. No, seriously. Because like, I, I said like, you got to have this like very good question at the very end that's like very unique that like lets the person kind of take the wheel because Bill Belichick, we all ask him the same questions and we get the same answers and we don't like it anymore. But it's like, yeah, but if you ask him about, like, Army-Navy football, all of a sudden, like, his eyes will light up like an old uh, Alzheimer's patient who just heard, like, American Patrol from 1939. It's like, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And he's just, like, stood up in the bed, and next thing you know, he's the Manchurian candidate just animated telling you about stuff. So, um, sorry. Anyways, I just... I think, I, you know what, though? We got we to gotta talk Hank real quick again. And yeah. I, I don't think I'm betraying Mince by saying this. So, Ron, love you, man. But I've heard stories... And I've heard stories from people that know Hank. I've heard stories online. Hank is kind of a severe cat. And I think that the severity in his personality is similar to a Belichick. He's kind of a hard-edged dude. And he's a cocky dude. And I think that that's the tone that people were offended by when he said what he said. It's the cocky, hard-edged, I know better because I've been there tone. And I think he's being penalized more for that than the words themselves. And most people online that have been critical of him, that's what I see time and again. It's not, oh, that's so racist that he said there's more than a few people with the name Lee. I mean, if anything, that's just, that. it's the tone, the, the, the dismissive kind of undertone of all of it. And I think Hank is dismissive of lots of things and lots oh, yeah. of people 
not just minorities, not just women. And I think, you know, Hank needs to know better because you said it, Jerry. Comedy, they're on the front lines of dismissing things or roasting things. Golf is all about being gentlemanly and, you know, ladylike and etiquette. You know, it's all part of the thing. You're supposed to be nice. And especially on a radio show that is sponsored by advertisers who are trying to impress people with gentility, I don't think he pulled that off in that remark. However, I don't think that the action was appropriate to completely fire him for this. I think they could have gone middle of the road and just, you know, talked to him and told him to, to be more kind and whatnot, and that probably would have been good enough. I'm sure Hank could have learned the lesson that way. Yeah, so I that's that's where we come in a little bit. We could say whatever we want, and that it's pretty funny that she's Lee the Sixth on the scoreboard. Yeah, oh yeah. That's uh, the irony so thick you could choke on it. I love it. Uh, and Zach, she won. Uh, Zach did write a piece on it. I don't know, is there anything else you want to add before we move on? To um, I guess one really- thing I'll add is that there's been like a few people have like, come at us on Twitter being like, it's so misogynistic to make jokes about, like, these women and all this. And my thing, whole point is, maybe instead of just talking about Hank Haney saying something about the woman, we should actually follow the woman and, like, applaud this woman for dominating events and these Korean women who are all named Lee, which is funny, all winning. And as a matter of fact, we're actually looking for... Uh, what's helped is someone reached out to us who follows the female tour and he said he might be able to write and cover all the events which i think would be great to have someone that'd be cute nice well this is national women's golf appreciation day today and i dare say i don't watch every lpga tournament hank i'm like you in that regard but i definitely follow the ladies and i'm i'm a big respecter of women's sport in general i love women's tennis i love women's golf i love women's soccer I even occasionally will watch a WNBA game, although that's a little tough Women's for me. College basketball, even though the pace can be slow sometimes, it, it's actually a nail biter if you really think about it. Where it's just like, like you just the, like you, the final could be twenty six twenty four. It's just like, yeah, hang on. It's just like the, you, it's like it's like watching two opponents who are perfect at each move, like Greco Roman wrestling, where you have to wait for someone just to like slip up and blink, and then it's like that's your opening, and that's how you win. I've had a tennis family. My mom was real good at tennis. We've always watched tennis. And I have to say, I've always enjoyed the women's tennis as much as the men's. I think, especially for Americans, we're more intrigued by Serena and Venus than we are by most of these men from Europe or wherever. I think, you know, it's women's sports are not horrible. Women's soccer is amazing. I mean, our women's soccer team over here in the U.S. is arguably been better than the men for a long time. Probably so one of the best teams in America, or like whether it's national or professional history, is the American women's soccer. Absolutely. I just think golf, the chickens are coming home to roost, guys. Tiger was the start of this movement. We finally could start talking about the fact that black people were banned from playing at these clubs that he's winning at. And it, sure, it offends these old stuffy white people in their southern ways. But this is the thing. It's coming home to roost. Tiger, people from other parts of the world people that were not welcome before are starting to dominate the sport. Women are starting to be considered not just viable, but as, as you know, popular as men. Michelle, Wee is a popular American athlete in, in golf and others too. You know, I think that's what it's coming down to is that this is probably rankling the guys that held the keys to golf more than anybody. But I dare say 
if women are offended by Hank's dismissive tone, that I can appreciate. However, he didn't say that women stunk at golf yeah. or had no business being in golf. He didn't say that Asians were you know, second-class citizens or something. He didn't use racist verbiage. If he did that, I think we can all agree that that was out of bounds. But just making a, a stale joke that sounded you know, stuck up, that I think we should be able to forget. For sure. You would have said the same thing about the men's tour if something like that comes up. And we always do make fun of things going on on the men's tour. For sure, for sure. So, not to uh, beat the dead horse, we're just we're about to approach an hour here, and I want to get to something we alluded to earlier. That is probably we can stuff the four ball talk for another time. I really don't care. And um, and Nolan, your question will not be ignored. I have answered it before, but I will tie it into the four ball talk when I caddied for the Wall Brothers, and I can just tell people go to Google and look up Wall Brothers Golf. W A L L. And it's, uh, I didn't know anything about these guys. It's pretty GD amazing, if you believe in G. And if you don't, he will D you. That being said, sure. Tucker, we are on, speaking of some home fronts here and patent pacing in between the trenches, Tucker's our own patent here because we have, we are in some turmoil here with one uh, PK, Peter Kessler. Uh, Tucker, I'm just, I'm a really good, I play a lot of volleyball and volleyball. I'm a killer setter. Here it comes. Go. There must be some kind of way out of here. <laughs> Peter Kessler to the thief. Um, <laughs> Peter Kessler, we talked about you on a former podcast. I'm saying your name, buddy. I'm saying it right now. I'm Beyonce. Say your name. Say your name. Um, I gave you a lot of credit the first time around, and I'm going to give you this much credit the second time around. I did not take on the Peter Kessler piece for From the Back Tees, which is dropping this week. Because I wanted to pull a hit job on Peter Kessler. I didn't take it on because I thought Peter Kessler was a controversial figure. I didn't take it on for any other reasons. I, 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 I had heard things, but I wouldn't say I was even that aware of how controversially controversial he was, guys. I just was fascinated by him. He's obviously a very enigmatic guy from back in the day from Golf Channel that was very very good at what he did he talked to some of the greatest golfers and greatest golf people oh, yeah. on the planet he's a pioneer he, through and through a consummate professional and uh to to like the nth degree i mean he's uh on some fronts some could would consider brilliant i mean well he's the atom of golf channel if this is the creation of all things in the universe he was the first man that was on the very first tv show the golf channel ever put on the air He's Adam. Now that being said. But Adam got kicked out of the Garden of Eden because he tasted the knowledge of the fruit of good and evil, and then he started acting like a dickwad. So that happened, too, in the story. It Genesis wasn't just that Adam got to run the garden. He also got kicked out and never got back in. And that's essentially what this piece became about. Peter and I had 90 minutes of conversation. When I first came on our podcast, I pretty much purported his version of things. I spoke some absolute truths that came out of his mouth that I said were true because I took him at his word. That was a bit foolish of me. I had multiple people listen to our From the Back Tees podcast that knew him from that time period, that were witnesses to things that happened in that time period, who got a hold of me and said, you are alleging things out loud that are not only untrue, but that are slanderous, not only about Peter Kessler's career, but about our careers and Arnold Palmer and other people you don't want to slander unbeknownst to you. 
I said, obviously, I'm an idiot, if anything. I just believe the guy based on what he said because he's, he's so absolute about how he spoke these things. I wasn't trying to burn anyone with what I said. But specifically what was said to me by multiple people now, guys, was that, number one, Peter Kessler was not the main writer, director, and producer of all of the content on, on Golf Talk Live and Golf Academy Live and the other shows that he did. He was mainly just the figurehead. There were people writing this for him. There was a, a genius group of hundreds of people that did all this work that, to make him look as good as he did. Secondly, whether he says it or not, he's not the greatest broadcaster of all time in any medium. <laughs> and that when he came in, it was not a natural thing, like he said, where he just already knew how to do it all and it all just worked out like it was just meant to be. He had a lot of help getting where he got a lot of coaching a lot of this but specifically he said that arnold palmer was drunk on the night of a show that essentially is why he says he got fired and most people i speak to say that yes him making arnold look bad on that particular show was indeed the straw that broke the camel's back that got him fired uh -huh. they also vehemently deny that arnold palmer was drunk so i had said on this past podcast that we did that according to Peter, he was drunk. Let me just say this, according to about seven people I've spoken to now that were there, they say he was not drunk. So okay, Peter's so the only one. person now who says Arnold Palmer was drunk. Oh, they say Peter, Peter made him look foolish on the show. We were talking about it, Jerry. It was about the Callaway ERC2 driver that Arnold was in the kind of hot water for supporting. He also brought up stuff about Arnold's recent... Uh, being recently widowed and, and his wife Winnie passing on and Arnold no, cried at the show. He did a lot of things that, yeah, it was like 2002-ish. He did a lot of things that made Arnold look not so great, made him look vulnerable, made him look foolish, made him, criticized him directly, kind of kept pressing him and needling him even after Arnold emotionally denied that he was trying to support cheating or anything else that he was being affiliated with. But they also said that was not the only reason Peter Kessler got fired. He got fired because of a culture of toxic asshole behavior that had been throughout the time he was at Golf Channel. That he's the type of guy, just like he was with me, who when he meets me, he says, well, you know why we're doing this? You're my best friend, and I do anything for you, and I love you, and every, you know, you're my best buddy. As soon as you stop job? giving him what he wants, he turns into Mr. Hyde. And they said everybody saw this side of him. He was maniacally mean to people. He would come after people. He was backstabby with people. And that all of this was building up on him through his time at Golf Channel. Arnold and others tried their best to work with it because they saw his talent and they definitely acknowledged what he did well. But it was this toxic narcissism. And those are the words used by every single person I've spoken to that eventually got him fired. Now we jump forward to me calling him back and asking him some follow-up questions based on all of this feedback I got. And guys, I, I've got the recordings. I've sent them to Zach. I was incredibly kind. I did not ask him these questions trying to start a fight. I just said, I've heard from a number of people that Arnold Palmer wasn't drunk the night of that show. Confirmed. That you weren't as close to Arnold Palmer as you say you were. That uh, Winnie Palmer did not tell you that you were the only person Arnold should trust when she passed on, and she didn't tell him that either. What do you say? Like, I didn't say it was a fact. I just said, what do you say? He gave me chippy responses. 
including things like that's the stupidest question I've ever heard and stuff like that. But he kept it somewhat above the belt. The minute that we got done with that interview, guys, he was all over my DMs. He was cursing me. He was calling me every name you could think of. And it was just more and more emphatic. The more I tried to pour cold water on it, the more I tried to say peace and love. And, you know, Pete, I'm not even trying to write a hatchet job on you. And I'm giving you all your links. And I'm trying to be fair and balanced and whatnot. The more he kept ratcheting it up. And he started threatening violence, guys. He wasn't just cursing me. He was threatening violence. The word change would break your neck. And then he went to Zach and did a similar routine where he said, I'm absolutely threatening you. I'm going to crack your skull open. Stuff like that. Confirmed so, again. And, 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 and guess what? The dope still follows me. So, I mean, I'm proud of that still. Look, the only thing, I don't have any insight to this, but I remember when Tucker told us he was getting Peter Kessler, I remember I, I turned to Zach and the equivalent was just kind of like, It'd be like if Tucker, like, we're all kids and we all live in a cabin and Tucker's walking to the house with a beehive, like, hey, guys, I found a beehive. And I'm just kind of like, I look at Zach and I'm just like, what what, what do we have a beehive for? And you're just like, I don't know, so we can get honey. And I'm just kind of like, I took bring it aside. I'm like, who the fuck said they wanted honey? Like, I'm just kind of <laughs> like, wait, wait, like I, I know what Peter Kessler is. This is not going to end well. And literally 10 days later, I'm like, Jesus, you guys are getting, like, bodily harm threats. I mean, I mean, I didn't think it would go, get out of hand that fast. Like, somebody got stabbed with a trident. I mean, we'll, we'll get the page views though. He's so crazy on Twitter, we kept I kept getting screenshots even though he blocked me and Zach. I've got I've got moles that are sending me screenshots of all that he's saying about us. He he's just getting more and more wild boy with his tweets. First he told me that his lawyers at Goldman Sachs were going to sue me for all of the character damage and mental damage that's going to come from this. And he's going to ruin my life and my finances and ruin my family and my reputation. Then he says he's got Rudy Giuliani personally going to take this case. Hey, the Rude Dog <laughs> show is coming after me, dude. I'm just saying, it just gets more and more wild boy. And, and I'm going to say this on this podcast, and I, I didn't put this in the piece, so Peter, you're welcome for not putting this in the piece. But every single person I've talked to and Obviously, his tweets make it clear that Peter Kessler is full-time on weed. Full-time. <laughs> Stay off Pete, the weed. you love weed. You say it all over your Twitter page. I don't hate weed. But I, w- I will say this. Those that are perpetually stoned are paranoid, and they say wild boy stuff. I know. I've been on weed for years, you guys. I just got off this year. I've been on it for 24 years. You are obviously too high right now, Peter. Buddy, you haven't even read a word of this piece, and you've already decided that it's going to ruin your reputation. But I have no desire to do any of that. If anything, I, 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 Jerry, my biggest sin here was that I really didn't realize that I was bringing a hornet's nest into the room. I thought I was just bringing a cuddly little uh, you know, honey badger or something. I had no idea what I was bringing into this room, dude. But it's too late now. It's too late. I'm not going to allow this guy to silence what I've done. It's over 5,000 words. I do think it's a pretty fair shake. And though I definitely didn't know what I was getting into, I've met some really cool people that worked with him through the process, and they're all going to be featured in future episodes. Michael Whalen, the former vice president and executive producer at Golf Channel, gave me exclusive interviews on this topic and his own life. This man has turned down interviews for 19 years, you guys. He has not done an interview in 19 years. We have a Michael Whalen exclusive coming out next. And others, too. i got to give shouts out to Keith Hirschland, former producer of tournaments for Golf Channel, for going on the record. we got an interview with him coming out. Lee Siegel, former producer there. Thank you, Lee, for all of your help. 
uh, Paul Farnsworth, another of these guys. All these guys have gotten in touch with me and have given us wonderful, priceless footage for all this. So thank you all you guys for your help. And I've, I've made some legit friends and allies for us as well. So Peter, in a roundabout way, you help me out anyway, even though I'm going to be looking over my shoulder for you when I walk out in public. He helped us out a long way, for sure. <clears throat> I, I mean, that's what I said. Like, I mean, I was I was mostly impressed with just like, huh, we got Peter Kessler. That's, uh, why didn't we just shoot the fox out in the forest? Why do we want to bring it in the house? And like, <laughs> trying to treat it like a pet. That looks like a lot of fun, adorable, but I don't think this is going to really... I'm not an naysayer. I just know I know enough about Peter Kessler that I just kind of looked at it and just like I just got like a shudder right away when I heard we, we got Peter Kessler. I'm just like, oh no, this, this is not going to end well. It's like it's like I said it before. It's like the Matt Kuchar stuff. It's a car wreck, and then what happens in car wrecks? There are no winners ever. It's just oh, I so, think we're winners. I think I think in a way this is a win because you know I had people up front telling me this is a war you're about to get into are you ready to get into a war and I said well I'm not looking for a war and they go it doesn't matter if you're looking for it he's going to wage one anyway and I said well I'm a battle champ I can take I can take these blows True. especially from blowhards like him and again because I kept my cool because Zach kept his cool because we didn't match his tone I think we have one not only because we've proven that bullies can be stood down but also we've made legit friends out of this that have seen that though we may be a small website doing our thing, that we're legit journalists here. I did my due diligence, no matter what Pete says. I've done a ton of research on this, and I thought I was just going to write a fluffy little page-long puff piece on him. And it's turned into eight or 5,000 words, eight pages, all these interviews yeah, later. More importantly, I feel like we speak the truth. Like, we are going to write what we thought was good on him and then when things turn bad we write what's bad on him it is what it is we say it how it is that is the definition of journalism uh well i don't want to scoot us along any further but i mean zach do you have any thoughts in terms of i mean you were implicated in this uh, skull cracking neck snapping uh, <laughs> uh electronic mail behavior and threats that were thrown around uh, no the only but... thing i'm upset about is that he blocked me because i was getting some really good content in the dms <laughs> <laughs> Those have blocked me, so I'll I'll, I'll 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 see to it. I mean, and I remember I was like in the trenches with you guys while you're getting blocked. I'm sitting here looking around like you guys are getting headshot left and right. I'm just like, you're oh, just hiding. Where's the sniper coming from? Just I'm just like, oh, it's I I look down at Nolan all the way down the trench, I'm like it's happening. Oh shit, he got capped too. Just like <laughs> I think the funniest part though is that he immediately after he blocked us put up a preemptive pin tweet on his page that I saw on a screenshot saying. Some website is about to print all of this slanderous, unprovable stuff about me and yada, yada, yada. But he wouldn't put our name on there. He just no, said exactly. some website. Guys, whenever you are truly trying to cover your ass, you say something bad's going to come out about me, but you don't show them where it's going to come from. Exactly. The only reason somebody gets this ratcheted up and this defensive is if they've got something to hide, especially the way I came at him. I did not come at Peter looking to wage war i didn't even come at him necessarily trying to get any kind of dirt on him it all uh, fell in my lap and then he lumped it on and everybody told me that was what was going to happen and it did so peter you're proving everyone else right by behaving this way if you want to show me that you're a good guy i'm still here man if i'm truly your great friend who you do anything for give me a call man i, I will take an apology come on the podcast 
Yeah, just come on a podcast. Just give me a call and let's talk nicely and civilly with one another. I don't even guys, need an apology. Guys, you're, you're, you're waving the beehive around. Stop it. Just set it down. Just set it down. <laughs> just set it down. <laughs> well, anyways, be looking for my new article, Breaking Bad with Peter Kessler, coming soon on uh, From the Back Tees. Be on the lookout. Yeah, I swear to God, I'm so small potatoes here. You'd be like, hey, let's bring him on the podcast. We have Peter Kessler on the podcast. I'm going to introduce the show and shit and just disappear and be like, Skype crash, bye. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it would be amazing. None of us would get to talk for two hours. It would just be Peter on a constant monologue. But, you know, have fun with that. That'll, that'll get us hits. I, I get why this is nothing but good for us. And Zach will sue you for all the stickers you're worth. You just watch out. Yeah. Look out. Rudy Giuliani's coming on with him, you guys. It's going to be fireworks, man. And to quote Giuliani when he was on SNL, friggin' Giuliani! <laughs> Oh, shucks. So, Tucker, what uh, what do you got coming up here in the near future? Where can people see you live, uh, see you on the internet? Uh, what are you doing now? Well, besides obviously writing for you guys, I am finally getting back into the studio and doing some studio recording for a couple new albums. I've got some stuff coming up this summer uh, back in St. Louis, so be following my record label, Tantrum Niche Records, Tantrum, N-I-C-H-E dot com. Everything on there is free download. Everything is wonderful. Over 20 albums worth of free content there. My hashtags online, TDB Music, Tucker Dale Booth, TDB Music, and hashtag Rappers Don't Golf. That's all the golf stuff, including <laughs> our From the Back I love stuff. Hashtag. You're I looking love for that. that. <laughs> and, um, and mainly, I would say I've got a lot of private stuff coming up music-wise, but a couple new albums on the horizon. My rap album, Sociopaths, a comedy will be dropping by the end of the summer. And I got a new acoustic rock album called Zealots, which is also finally starting to get into production. So be on the lookout for both of those, those hashtags sociopaths album and Zealots will be trending very soon, but that's about it. You guys, man, I definitely appreciate you having me on breaking bad with Peter Kessler coming this Friday. You best be looking for it. You know, I will be Zach. Uh, you, you sent a, uh, a carrier pigeon my way. What you got? Uh, so I got a question from our guy Mark, actually, who's our back-end guy, for those who don't know. Yeah, how do you pronounce his last name? I see it. It's like Raz... Mark Rosansky. Rosa Rosansky. Okay, I, it's not in front of me. Sorry, Mark. I, I just I know you got a, a cool last name. Yeah, so when I play with golf with him here, I have a proficiency to lose the golf ball. So this question's directed at Jerry, although Tucker for sure could give an answer. And his question is, what's the most amount of golf balls you've witnessed a player lose in one round? Um, well, spoiler, that player could be me, but I've lost, I've lost a dozen golf balls in a round before. I've seen people lose a dozen. Like for me, I'm a fairly accomplished golfer, but when you get out in like a, you're playing like a four person scramble and you got like four accomplished players or like three accomplished players and me, uh, all together, if I hit a slice off into the woods and everyone hits one down the fairway, I might not be so inclined to go look for the golf ball. Really, I might not be. I might just leave it and just go up the fairway and be like, I'm not holding anyone up. Screw it. I got dozens more of these at home. Well, case in point, I'm actually down to like, I think I only own two golf balls right now without having to go to my girlfriend's stash. So I'm getting a little too frivolous. But I would say I've seen up to a dozen and a half before. Jeez. And these are like bad hacks, just straight up busting out the dozens of Pro Bs that they just bought in the at the resort pro shop, which you know those suckers are going for five, six bucks a pop. I know the, I know abandoned crossings. They got these uh, commemorative Pro Bs for their seventy-one years of doing Titleist balls or whatever, and they're going for like two, three pack sleeves for thirty-four dollars or something. They're, they're just, I mean, it's it's something. 
they're, and their title is 71s, and they have, like, a nice American flag on it. I get it, but it's just, like, I feel like if I pay that much for a golf ball, I can't use it. It has to go on the, the, it has to go on the shelf or something. I mean, <laughs> you know, I got to say, I don't know if I've lost 12 in a round, but that's because by the time I've lost 10, I'm quitting on that round. You know, I'm like a lot of these guys. I come in going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the same ball through the whole round, and that's going to be the win because that's all that I can really count on as a win, you guys. I, I If I get one birdie in a round – I'm jumping up and down, throwing the tiger uppercut in the air. I mean, one uppercut. So, love it. You know, par is an uppercut in my world. Okay, so you know, it's when you're when you're playing like me. By the time I've reached ten balls that are out of bounds or un, unfindable, I'm pretty much tail between my legs and I'm walking around butt hurt with everybody just walking around with my hands in my pockets. But I would say I've surely lost ten when I go play with my boy. We'll blast a ball off into the woods and just drop another one and keep going like Jerry talks about. I, I think it's what it is. You don't want to hold up the pace of play. You don't want to hold up the people behind you unless it's serious, like we're playing for money or I'm playing in a in a you know a scramble tourney where it really matters. I'm not going to look for it. I'm just dropping and moving on. I'd say 10, though, 10 tops. Usually I only carry nine golf balls each time I, I, I go on an excursion, so I shouldn't lose more than that. <laughs> <laughs> And what's your question from Nolan? Did you have one? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to save it for next time we talk on the pod uh, because it's kind of related to the four ball because, uh, like I said, I caddied for um, one of the Wall brothers. I guess he's the youngest and most talented. And that kind of goes with my whole cliche of, well, Nolan's question, I'll tease it, but I'll answer it on on the next pod. But Nolan's question, I'll find it here exactly, excuse me, was, um, get prepared, Jerry. Says I want to know the path to PGA Tour caddy status. Is it a lot about who you know? And I would say, in a weird way, well, I'll just have to tie that into when I talk about me caddying for the Wall Brothers and the Four Ball, because half that answer really is it's all about which star you hit your wagon to at the right place, right time. It's a big life choice. It's like interning, and then the rest is just well. I'll have to. I'll, I'll be able to finish that question on the next pod. Really, I mean, because uh, I, I could bamf about the four ball and me catting for these kids like for an hour. I mean, it's, it's amazing. But we've gone over an hour. We don't have much else really to talk about. Zach, where can people find us? What's the best way to get in touch with us? Go. Uh, you could find us at uh, from the back tees Twitter account by that name, and uh, you could uh, find us all on www.fromthebacktees.com. We have all our twitters in the about us page. That is our headquarters. We got emails there. Things get forwarded to us. You can find me on Twitter at JerryLooper1. Haven't been on there too much lately. Been kind of busy. So, and Tucker, what was the? Where did we find you on Twitter? I know you're pumping other stuff, but I'm I'm, I'm reachable at Tucker Dale Booth on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me caddying for Peter Kessler <laughs> at, his, at his weed clinic. <laughs> Coming to you at a course in Colorado. Shout-outs to Rudy Giuliani. I'll see you soon, Rude Dog. Oh, my God. Oh, that's too much. That's too much. All right, fellas. Well, we had a good time. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, next time we do a podcast from the back tees. See you guys. Peace out.